the Louisiana Swamplands. Out here, you're either lunch or you're enjoying it. Make sure you end up on top with the all-powerful lineup of Kia SUVs, like the Telluride, Sportage, and Sorento, equipped with available all-wheel drive, higher ground clearance, and the interior capacity to bring everything you need. So you'll always remain more than a gator's length ahead. Visit your local Kia dealer today to find your next adventure in our ever-capable lineup of SUVs. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Welcome to the Single Cell World, the podcast for scientists in which we disentangle single cell technology. Here, frustration and failure are transformed into clarity and understanding. I am Katia Motinho, and in this podcast, I want to share with you my experience in single cell research. How? In the form of useful advices that you can use in the lab after each episode. Ready to learn? Let's start. Hi, everyone. Welcome to one more episode of this podcast. I hope everything is good on your side. Today, I have with me Irene Whitney. Irene, hi, how are you? I'm doing good, Katya. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak today. Thank you so much for being here. So Irene works in Honeycomb Biotechnology, that is a single cell company that uh, it's mainly focused on single cell RNA. But Irene, you are here to explain us better about the type of technology. But first, before we enter in detail about technology and start talking about that, I want to know about you. How did you arrive to the single cell research? Well, I guess that journey started a, a long time ago for me. A joke that I sometimes tell is that my first exposure to single cell was when I was trying to mouth pipette single cells or microarray. It's definitely been exciting for me through my academic career and now working at Honeycomb just to see how far the single cell field has expanded to. So I did my postdoc right at the time when DropSeq and InDrops were being developed. I was really lucky. I was across the river from where those technologies were being developed. And so my first postdoc project got to be setting up our own DropSeq setup and trying to do, you know, experiments with the sort of in collaboration with all the different postdocs around because it was such, it was so new to be able to do this in a high throughput manner, right? That's what everyone was really excited about was that single cell was now high throughput. And so I just was very lucky kind of in the timing of my postdoc. And I got to participate in a couple of projects that were really foundational kind of in showing that you can use high throughput single cell RNA-seq to classify cell types, right? When, when this technology was first emerging, you know, people didn't even necessarily believe that these clusters in some way relate to something biologically important. So it was really nice to be, be involved in some of those early projects really establishing the technology. And then when I was ready to move on from my postdoc, it was just really good timing. I sort of through the, you know, the small world of biotech and science, I had a connection to, to Honeycomb and was able to, to start working there translating all of the sort of skills from the academic setting into, you know, more of the biotech sector where we're trying to launch a new technology. So I was really lucky working at Honeycomb to, again, just good timing where I was able to start when we were still pre-commercial developing our, our first product. You know, so I started out at the bench kind of as an R&D scientist. And now I've been able to kind of be at Honeycomb and, and see the full arc of things as we went through beta testing and early commercial release and then like a full commercial 
initial launch of our product. Um, and now, you know, a few years on, really coming full circle as we're getting ready and prepared to launch some new products this year. So it's it's kind of been an ex- exciting uh, adventure getting to work with Honeycomb for the last few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really cool. So you start in the beginning and then see everything grow, the project. So that is really motivating, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And where did Honeycomb start? It start like uh, a lot of companies start in the lab, right? And then the product is developed and uh, it is a startup initially, but then a big company. It was the same with Honeycomb? Yeah, so Honeycomb was founded officially in 2017. So by Todd Guerin and Jim Flanagan. So they're our CSO and CEO. And that was in conjunction with our academic co-founders, Alex Shalik and Chris Love, uh, who are from MIT and the Broad Institute, where, where Todd had worked with them to develop SQL, which is the precursor technology to our flagship product, The Hive. And I guess when, when Honeycomb was founded, the goal was to bring single-cell RNA-seq to a larger audience. So at the time, the single-cell solutions available, you know, really centered around specialized instrumentation and primarily relying on microfluidics for sample capture, which, you know, this can exert harsh shear forces and sometimes destroy cells. You know, whereas with our core technology, it's a PicoWell array preloaded with transcript capture beads. This can allow for that gentle capture of cells with an instrument-free solution. Uh, but for us to bring the benefits of a, of a technology like this to a wider audience, you know, we as a company, we had to go through extensive re-engineering to create something that really is highly user-friendly and robust so that, you know, you don't need to be a single-cell expert in order to, to use the Hive. And I think the other key part of development that we went through with the Hive, with that goal in mind of expanding access to single-cell, was our built-in storage, right? So you can load cells into the hive, add our cell preservation solution, and now that can be stably stored or shipped until you're ready for, for processing. Yeah, that is really cool on your technology. So I will mention two of the, the things that you talk now. So to be clear, you don't need a specific machine to use your technology. You just need to buy the hives, what you call hives, right? This is the first thing that I want to make clear. Yeah, this is correct. This is good. And the second is what you mentioned. I can load my cells and then ship the hives to some other place where people will do the experiment. Yeah. Right. Okay, that is really good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, this is completely different of what normally we, we are used to see because normally it's like machines, expensive machines that we need to perform our experiments right away in the specific lab. So it gives really a lot of flexibility. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, and I think what people have been doing as an alternative to, you know, before something like the hive was available to use something like cryopreservation or fixation, right? And, you know, that can be challenging, you know, because like what you freeze isn't necessarily what you thaw right, in terms of the impact on the cell quality, the number of cells, you know, some cell types don't survive cryopreservation altogether. And so the way that we think about the hive is that it's integrated, the, the storage solution. So you're, you have your sample, you're capturing those cells, and then that is what is getting stably stored, whatever cells that you captured, and then you can go on and, and process later as if you had been able to work with a fresh sample. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because you are right there. It's never, never equal what you cry preserve and what you get. There is always cell loss. I will say I always calculate like 50% of my cells that I'm cryopreserving will die. Yeah. 
plus the the cell types that I will never detect because I'm not aware that they died, as you, you said, insensitive cells. Of course, this is different from tissue to tissue, right? Different tissues, uh, you can have different results, but most of them, yes, there is always a bias that you introduce with cryopreservation. And also, it's normally, other point is that the protocols of cryopreservation change from lab to lab or even between people, <laughs> like different people. Yeah, like site-specific batch effects absolutely yeah yes. yeah so trying to have a solution for that as well yeah well said so it's really really good if we can do our experiments right away and this is an amazing solution because you need to do the first part right away and then you can just freeze and perform the experiment continue your experiment later so this is really really good and what kits do you have right now so to see rna i suppose single cell rna mm-hmm. can you explain me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so for the Hive single cell RNA-seq solution, it has three components and they kind of match with the workflow. So you have sample capture, transcriptome recovery, and library prep. So uh, a typical user will want all three, the complete solution, uh, if you will. But we also want to provide some flexibility depending on the needs of our customers. So for example, some that want a more turnkey solution, for them, we have Hive Service. Uh, For that, all you need is the sample capture kit. You can load your cells and then send them to Honeycomb to do the processing, sequencing, and some preliminary analysis. I like that. Yeah, it, it's a really great way to get started just to sort of see your data right away, understand if, you know, some of the features of the Hive technology do benefit like the work that you're trying to do. It's, it's I, I recommend it to everyone who's getting started with, with Hive as a new technology. And then we have kind of the other end of the, the spectrum where this is probably very much not a typical user, but it is something that we want to be open to within the field. And that's people who are interested in pursuing their own development. And so So for them, we have the Hive open source solution. So this is sample capture plus transcriptome recovery, where they get all the benefits of the Hive. So gentle capture, large loading volume, built-in storage, but then they can take the beads with the captured transcriptomes and use whatever library prep protocol and reagents they prefer. So sort of an open source uh, option. Yeah. That's good. But when you say the library, you mean after we amplify our RNA or better, the cDNA, we have our library or before? Before, right. So just when you've got transcriptomes. We have our bits with RNA and then you can do whatever you want with that. Is that? Exactly. It really opens a lot of possibilities. Yeah. Right. So those three options kind of cover all the different scenarios someone might be interested in. So the complete solution, you know, you want the autonomy to do the workflow yourself in your hands, you know, you're not tied to, you know, equipment from your core, anything like that. You can do it on your time, how you want. But then there are other people who, you know, they want to, they don't want to become a single cell expert, but they do want to have access to that kind of data. The uh, service solution is is great for that. And then again, yeah, open source for people who are more on the uh, exploratory side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think right now, most of researchers that start right now doing single cell experiments are the type, the first type that you mentioned, the ones that they will do one or two single cell experiments. So this is perfect because like this, you are sure that all the processing will be well done by someone that is expert. In this case, it's Honeycomb. But for example, here, Honeycomb, you have specific labs or these are labs that you have contact with. The Louisiana Swamplands. Out here, you're either lunch or you're enjoying it. 
Make sure you end up on top with the all-powerful lineup of Kia SUVs, like the Telluride Sportage and Sorento, equipped with available all-wheel drive, higher ground clearance, and the interior capacity to bring everything you need. So you'll always remain more than a gator's length ahead. Visit your local Kia dealer today to find your next adventure in our ever-capable lineup of SUVs. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. It were kind of accredited to do these kind of experiments. How it works, for example, me that I'm in Portugal, where should I send my samples? Yeah, we don't currently have um, like a, a hive service provider in, in Portugal. This is something we definitely want to work on extending sites. Yeah, so right now you can, within the US, you can certainly ship to, to Honeycomb. Um, and then I think, you know, if there are cores or sites in the UK or Europe, that's where we would be really interested in sort of further developing those kinds of relationships, people have that option. Um, we certainly have people who ship from overseas to, to Honeycomb for the hive service, but it would be ideal to encourage more sites overseas um, to start processing hives. Um, we do have several sites where like the local core, you know, is uh, acting as like a hive uh, service provider, but sometimes, you know, they do as much in terms of accepting external samples and things like that. Okay. And if I want to send it overseas for there, for you, for your life, where you are, so how much time do I have since I load my samples and then I freeze it? Do I freeze what temperature and then what time do I have until the, the experiment needs to be performed? Yeah, so we would recommend freezing it at minus 80 and we have data for storage out to nine months where everything looks stable. Um, and when you ship, you would ship on dry ice so that the hives remain fully frozen and your beads and cells are not coming out. Okay, so I have until nine months for that I will be in the safe side until it's done the experiment. Yeah, it seems a very long time. <laughs> so I think that the main thing that we need to think is the amount of dry ice when we are sending the hives. It needs to be a lot just in case. Yeah, we typically recommend five to 10 pounds of dry ice per day for shipping. Yeah, and that's something where we can always coordinate with Honeycomb in terms of our recommended shippers and, and things like that. Yeah, that's good that you have all these under control and you can recommend everything. So yeah. What about the samples? So can I use uh, human samples, animal samples, but also plant tissues or no, or just human? Yeah, so I think the, the only limitation on what samples you can use is the size. So the size of the wells is about 60 microns. And so there's sort of an upper limit based on on cell size. Although it's interesting, like we have seen for some instances where people are using nuclei instead of cells because the cells were big and they were maybe like clogging the, the system on like other devices. So we've actually found with the hive, you, you have sort of large cells or, or clumps or debris, you're not going to be at risk for sort of a total failure of losing your sample due to a clog. Because after you load the cells in the hive, you just do a wash to remove any sort of debris or clumps. And so one of our early beta testers was working on mouse liver and so showed really nicely the ability to recover hepatocytes. So using whole cells rather than just using nuclei. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's really important. So you already mentioned, but I will just repeat for our listeners to have it clear. We can also use nuclei, right? Isolate nuclei and use it. So yeah. Yeah. So in terms of like what's officially verified in the hive, 
initiative itself, but we've had multiple users working with Nuclei. There are two ways to load cells into the hive. You can either do loading by gravity or you can do a gentle spin. And we've just found when working with Nuclei, you'll want to do that gentle spin since they are less dense and you want to ensure they're getting into the wells. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. But yeah, it's actually, it's been interesting kind of the, the range of sample types that we've that we've seen from people working with the hive. I think because of the instrument free nature and that it's very easy to load cells, we've seen a lot of use with like minimally invasive clinical biopsies. So anything from like blood, bone marrow, different types of swabs or lavages, uh, fine needle aspirates, cerebral spinal fluid, urine, even milk. And, and so I think there's just been this kind of like big range. And, and then also going outside of the, you know, human samples and people who are working in the field, you know, maybe they're uh, trying to collect different like sea creatures or other things. It's It's been really interesting. Anyone where you're not kind of collecting your samples in that, you know, primary lab space, the hive kind of opens up access to being able to work. I think that is essential more and more, especially I will go to the human samples, but in the clinics, for example, normally where you collect the samples are not the places where we will do the experiments. So this kind of option is really, really good. Yeah, I think, yeah, between, you know, the, the clinical research and then also a really a lot of people doing infectious disease work too is the other kind of example where being able to collect in the field and then, you know, ship to a, a different location for processing is what we've seen a lot. Yeah. And what about the samples? Ideally, they should be fresh. I know all the single cell experiments should be done with fresh samples, but this a lot of times it's not possible. Can I load in the hives cryopreserved samples that I saw before? Is it possible? It's certainly possible. I mean, the reason that we don't recommend it is that you would ideally load into the hive and then freeze. So never having to use cryopreservation to begin with. Um, but that being said, if you do have cryopreserved samples, you certainly can load them into the hive. One thing that we did a, a study on recently was to look at loading based on just the viable number of cells versus the total number of cells. And, you know, if you've got a cryopreserved sample, maybe you have very low viability, let's say as low as 25%. And so a lot of times people will recommend when you do a single cell experiment that you load based on total cell number. Like, let's say I can load 10,000 cells. Well, but if only 25% of them are alive, you're not going to get very much back. And so we did a nice comparison study that that should be out a little bit later where we loaded based on number of live cells versus total cells and found that you could load based on uh, live cells all the way down to 25% viability. So it really increased your, your cell recovery. Our, our big recommendation is if you are working with a sample like that to try and do some washes ahead of time to remove any debris, but with the hive, it's robust enough so that you can load, you know, that really low viability sample and still recover a lot of high quality data out. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because normally what happens is if you load a lot of cells, you will have problems of clogging with other systems, right? Are very, very thin channels and they will block. It's because of that. But it's true, you are right. They recommend for us to consider the total amount of cells. But of course, in the case I have a sample with 25% of the ability, I will not do it unless it's really essential. And then I will do what you also mentioned, wash the sample, try to 
increase the number of viable cells to remove the dead cells. But it's good to know that with the hives, you can do differently. You can do like this. So when you load the hives, imagine that I do a mistake and you recommend a certain concentration, but I have 10 times less. So when I load, can I see the wells that are empty, the wells that are uh, with cells, or I cannot see that? Uh, unless you have stained your cells with a fluorescent dye, yeah, it's not super clear just to see by Brightfield. What we do have for anyone who's maybe new to single cell and, and maybe not as confident about their cell counting or cell loading, uh, we have a training material called cell surrogates. So they're basically just small cell size color beads at two different concentrations. And we have a training protocol to run someone through how to accurately count your cells, how to dilute them appropriately, and then load them into the hive. And those you can see visually by Brightfield. And so that is something we would recommend anyone who feels, you know, just not as confident because this is, you know, a new area to them to train with that first before working with your real sample. Yeah, that's really good because one of the main problems of experiments is when we count wrongly the cells. And this can happen to everyone, even if you have a lot of experience. So I will not be able, if I do a mistake and I load less amount of cells, I will not be able to just load again. No, that is not possible. I mean, if you know that you made the error, you could probably load more, but I feel like that's kind of the type of error that's hard to catch in the middle of doing it. I will say that the hive has a very wide cell loading range. So something that we might get to in a little bit is talking about, we have a new version of the hive coming out called Hive CLX. And this has a very dynamic cell loading range. You can load as few as 500 or as many as 60,000 cells. So it's going to tolerate if you made a mistake in your counting, if you'd had too few or too many because of the dynamic range, it, it will tolerate sort of what that might've been. One thing that, that we've started using in our R&D lab at Honeycomb to help with issues with cell counting is we use the Solometer K2. It's an automated cell counter from Nexalom. The reason that we like it is that it has two color fluorescence for live dead. And so it does a really good job distinguishing live versus dead cells, as well as cells versus debris or blood cells or things like that. Like we work a lot with blood and bone marrow. And sometimes with Brightfield, you can miscount uh, red blood cells as white blood cells, but with their two color fluorescence, you, you never make that mistake in counting. So it's really nice. I mean, single cell, you know, single cell experiments are are expensive. You have the technology to make the libraries and then you still have to then go on and sequence the libraries. And so we try to stress a lot feeling confident about not only the accuracy of your cell concentration, but also the viability because you only want to plan to sequence as much as you need for the viable cells that you recover. And so the more accurate you can be about your loading, the more precise you can be with your sequencing dollars and not waste sequencing dollars on cells that you didn't actually recover. Yeah, that is essential what you mentioned, viability and the amount of cells that uh, we are putting yeah, on our experiment. So then I cannot see the cells inside the well. And how will I detect the doublets? Because I'm sure that, uh, of course, if we use the recommended concentration, cell concentration, we will not have so much doublets because I'm expecting that honeycomb already calculate all of that, the probability of doublets. But if I have them, 
when will I find out that I have a lot of doublets? At the end, in the sequencing or before? Yeah, so at the end of the sequencing. And we've done a bunch of loading experiments to sort of, you know, figure out empirically what the doublet rate is. So for example, with Hive CLX, if you load 20,000 cells, you might expect a doublet rate of about 10%. And there are, you know, sort of multiple doublet, you know, removers out there and things like that when you're doing your secondary analysis, something we might speak more about. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In a little bit is our analysis workflow. So, so BNET. So in terms of how BNET works, we don't do any kind of, you know, pre-filtering or screening out. Like if there are doublets there, the workflow lets them through. Um, but then we leave it up to the user's preference uh, for which doublet removal tools they prefer to use. And so for us, everything's a balance, right? You know, you can load up to 60,000 cells, but you're going to have a lot of doublets in there, but you're also going to have a lot more single cells. So really just, you know, we want to give that wide range of flexibility because we want people to make their own choices about how they want to spend their money, how many cells they want to recover, but that they have that flexibility across that kind of really dynamic working range. Yeah. What about the hives now that I can buy tomorrow? These hives, how many cells can I load on these ones? What is the minimum and the maximum? So the hive CLX is available now for anyone. So for anyone who's interested. So in these ones. Yeah, Hive CLX is ready to go. Yeah, so that's the one that has the range of 500 to 60,000. Yeah. Okay. What about volumes? Because we talk a lot about concentration, but normally one of the problems is that we are uh, dealing with volumes of microliters. So what about the hives? Do I need to load microliters or I can load one milliliter with the right concentration? Yeah. So again, just kind of keeping in line with what we try to do is we want to give people a lot of flexibility. Recommended loading for the hive is one mil single cell suspension. It has the capacity to fit up to four mils and you can even do more than that. So what we would call sequential loading. So if you have a very sparse sample like urine or cerebral spinal fluid or something like that, you could load four mils, do your gentle spin, pull off the cell media and then add on, you know, another four mils until you've, you know, loaded your 10, 20,000 cells that you're targeting to load into the hive. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, the hives really, the system really gives a lot of flexibility. I was not aware of so many flexibility because when I use the version that I would use, well, I didn't thought about all these kind of possibilities. So it's really, really good. Yeah, yeah. So our cells are loaded in the hives. 
what will happen next? What will we we'll do? So once you load the cells into the hive, they're going to settle into that PicoWell array. And each of the wells in the array is already preloaded with a three prime transcript capture bead. Uh, we do a wash. And then kind of the critical step is to add our cell preservation solution. And at that point, you can either continue on with the rest of the workflow or put your hives in the freezer or ship them until you're ready to move on. So, you know, especially if you're doing, you know, time points or, you know, shipping to your core or shipping to honeycomb, that's kind of where you have that major stopping point in the workflow. And when you're ready to go on, the next step is to seal the array with a semi-permeable membrane that makes it so that each well is like its own little individual reaction chamber. And then we add lysis solution and hybridization solution onto that membrane. And the pore size on the membrane is small enough so that the micromolecules in the lysis and hybridization solution can go into the well, but it's too small for the macromolecules like your RNA to come out of the well. That's what gives you the single cell resolution. And that, that's how we capture the transcripts onto the beads. After you've done that, you just peel off the membrane and spin the hives to collect a bead pellet that has all of your captured transcriptomes. So at this point, if you were working with the open source, you would do your own library prep. But for most people, then you would go on to a 96 well plate and use the rest of our library prep reagents uh, to make your libraries. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It seems very, very easy. So yeah. Yeah. The way we describe it is, yeah, is the hive is different, not difficult. Um, and so in terms of anyone who's working with the hive for a first time, we have like a, a starter bundle that goes with it, kind of like time purchases and accessories, but it also includes a set of demo parts so that you can practice like clicking them together and things like that and just get really comfortable with the, the new technology. Yeah, 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 it's good. Well, working with 96 12 plates is easier because it's something that normally, even if you are not doing single cell experiments, you are used to deal with yeah. like multi-channel pipette and the plates. Yeah, it's all very like standard lab practices. Yeah. Yes. So it, it ends being easier for new users of this technology. Yeah. And you mentioned that we can do three prime. So if we are interested in RNA, but we will get only the information of the three prime region, that is is the normal kind of experiments that we need to do if we want to see gene expression. In the case we want to see other regions of the RNA, is it possible? Are you developing these new kind of approaches or for now it's just three prime? Yeah, so for the things that we're focusing on next, we'll be first hashing, sightseeing, and then TCR, those are the things that sort of are on our priority list. Um, but that's kind of a good example why we don't want to hold people back from trying new things. We have some people who've even worked on modifying the sequence of the beads in the well to then go on and capture other transcripts and, and things like that. And so that's kind of the idea is, you know, as a small startup, you want to balance with addressing as many needs as you can of the community, but also, you know, establishing yourself as a strong company so your technology will maintain and still be there for people. And this is, I think, the, where we've landed as a way to address sort of all of those needs as equally as possible. Yeah. And for me, this is a solution for the things to be moving faster. So if we work together, if companies like yours work together with researchers that already have a lot of experience in single cell research, but they want to do crazy things, like I say, <laughs> crazy things, so we can try and then give you feedback. And like this, all of us, we are going in the same 
point, right, of development. So I think this is really good. And something that I really like in single cell companies is that you are open to help. It's like, as you mentioned, if I tell you, Irene, I have this crazy project. Do you think it will work? And you will tell me, okay, you try, but I can give you all the support that I will need. So this, I think, is really, really good. And you don't see that in other fields of research in a, with other companies. So I think this is great. So we did our experiment and then we have to sequence. The sequencers that we can use, I suppose, that are from Illumina. Can we use other type of sequencers? Like, for example, uh, Illumina is short reads, right? There are other companies. Can we use other type of sequencing? Can we use long reads? I don't know. I'm just asking. <laughs> Do you know someone that uses? Yeah, in terms of what we verified, so we've most extensively verified sequencing on all of the different Illumina platforms. And we have also just started working with Element and verifying sequencing of Hive libraries uh, with their platform. And then I think anything beyond that, that's something, again, like you said before, if that's something that people want to try, you know, because that is sort of their preferred sequencer, Honeycomb will certainly, you know, do what we can to work with them and provide them the information that they need. I know that some sites are interested in converting Hive libraries for working with like BGI for sequencing and things like that. So absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how many reads will I need per cell? How many reads you recommend? So this is, this is, I think, an interesting question. You know, we would tend to say something like 20,000 reads per cell, but I like to think of it a little bit differently because that number comes from after you've, you know, done like, you know, thresholding for genes and transcripts and like filtering out low quality cells and okay, here's my final data set that looks good. And here, aha, I've got 20,000 reads per cell. But to me, that's like an endpoint number that you get at the end. I like to think of it a little bit more upstream, which is how many reads per sample. So that's something we have as part of our like FAQs is if you, you know, loaded anywhere from that 500 to 60,000 range, what your expected doublet rate is, what your expected single cell recovery is, and then how many hives we recommend per sequencing lane based on that initial loading. Because for us, that is just a little bit more of a direct assessment rather than the reads at the end. So that's kind of the way that we think about it. You would probably run, you know, maybe like four hives that were loaded with 15,000 cells on a NovaSeq SP laner or, you know, or flow cells. And do you recommend, for example, to do kind of first a pilot experiment to see if everything will work okay? Like for example, hive with some cells. Do you recommend always do a pilot experiment? I think it's always really good to do a pilot experiment anytime you're working with a new technology. So we provide live remote support for all users, have someone with you going through the, the protocol and, and there in real time as you're doing the experiment. We typically recommend that you do work with your sample of interest, not just something like PBMCs, but something that truly would benefit from working with the hive. So to use a real sample of interest. But yeah, it's always good to maybe start with a few samples, see how it looks and then do more. And again, like we talked about before, the Hive service option really is an ideal way to do a pilot experiment. You can, you know, ship a couple of Hives in, we will take it through sequencing and analysis for you and get you back the results. That actually relates to another product that we um, are just now releasing that's BNET Plus. So BNET is our basically just analysis tool for going from demultiplex FASTQ files to your count matrices. Uh, but BNET Plus, as as the name suggests, is BNET Plus an automated workflow on Terra, which is a cloud-based platform and has a very easy-to-use 
use interface. Um, and it goes through some preliminary secondary analysis. So, you know, clustering, generating UMAPs, cell type annotating, basic, you know, gene transcript, cell recovery metrics, differential gene expression, um, gene expression plots, things like this. So you can really get a fast output of your results with BNET Plus, uh, you know, generates an HTML report that you can scroll through and look at all of your results, just make it a lot easier to see how well your experiment has worked. And we try and kind of built in recommendations based on, you know, sort of QC that you see or different, you know, metrics that you see how well your experiment worked and what next steps could be. These, all of these friendly use for biologists like me, that we don't have a lot of uh, knowledge about data analysis. So I will be able to use this program, the VNet Plus. Good. Does not require, you know, Linux command line experience or, or anything like that. This is meant to be for anybody to be able to use it. Because a lot of times we find that, yeah, like bioinformatics can be a big bottleneck in, in different projects. And so if you're waiting for your collaborator to be available, but then you don't get to see your data, this is a great way that you can see your results right away and see how things worked. Okay. I will go back to the pilot experiment. So sometimes what I recommend just to save some money is for people to do a pilot experiment and then sequence, but don't sequence a lot of reads. Sequence half of the recommended reads. Like these, they will have an idea of if experiment, everything was work well, or if everything is not well, <laughs> everything is bad. So can I do the same in the case of using the hives, Anycom technology? That's a really good question. So my only concern with sequencing half as deep is you might not see all of the cells and like recover all the genes and transcripts. So you might not get a full idea of the biology that you captured, which you can do with the hive since it is the bead base that you're capturing the transcripts on and they're polystyrene beads. When you get to the whole transcriptome amplification step, we split the beads into four equal reactions. Um, and so what you could do is you could only take, say, half of the two of those reactions through your final index PCR and sequencing. So half the beads is going to be equivalent to half the cells that you recovered. And then I would do the regular amount of sequencing, but you're doing it for half as many cells. That way you can see with complete sequencing, what does the quality look like? And then you say, oh, okay, this looks great. I'm going to go back and sequence the rest of my sample. So it's this exact same kind of idea, but it's I like a little bit better because it gives you that ability to see, you know, what is the biology that I've captured? Okay, now I'm just going to add more cells to it by processing the rest of my beads. Yeah, it's a really good strategy, that one, because like these, you really, what you get in the pilot, right, is the real thing. Like you will have all the reads, all the biology. So yeah, that is really good that you have this possibility. Yeah, and that's certainly an option if, you know, you're shipping to honeycomb and processing, you know, that's certainly an option that you can request for. Okay, so now we went to all the procedure, all the protocol, and I have my data. So I will use the program that you, you mentioned to analyze the BNET Plus, and I will be able to do it. But if I need some support, uh, can I contact Honeycomb for support on this, on the part of data analysis? Yeah, I would say, you know, anytime there is any type of question through any part of the workflow, support at honeycomb.bio, there is a whole team of, of people there ready to answer questions. I think in terms of doing like very deep secondary analysis, that might extend a little bit beyond, but we have multiple resources that we would point people to if they needed that kind of deeper assistance with really complex secondary analysis. Yes, because you talk about the possibility of sending the hives, my hives, let's say that I'm doing 
experiment. I send you the hives and then you do the protocol and sequencing is also included or I will need to end the analysis. But these analysis, I suppose there are limits for the analysis. <laughs> so what type of analysis do you offer? A basic one, a secondary, like with this program with BNet Plus or a little bit further? Yeah, so the service comes with BNet Plus, which is a little bit of secondary analysis. So you'll see your, your clusters, differential gene expression, expression plots, things like that. A little bit of automated cell type annotation. But yeah, beyond that, if you're trying to like, you know, compare different groups or compare different conditions, you know, or, you know, have things that are, you know, very custom in terms of analysis, that would be a little bit beyond what we do for BNUP Plus and for service. Mm -hmm. One thing that I want to highlight, and this just to finish, we are almost finishing, it's the fact that with the hives, we can recover sensitive cells. Sensitive cells mean like granulocytes, cells that normally they die in the way we are doing a, a single cell experiment, especially as you mentioned, because of the forces, the shear forces that we need to apply for the cell to enter in the, the channels, in the very tiny channels. So this is really something really good. Besides the granulocytes, there are other types of cells that uh, if I want to study, you will recommend? Yeah, I think what we've also seen for other cell types that are challenging, you know, due to cryopreservation, or, or microfluidics um, would be like neurons or epithelial cells, um, hepatocytes. Um, also, we've seen a lot like people that are working with, you know, like disease or damaged tissue that that itself is already pretty fragile. It was actually quite interesting. We had one site that was working with cryopreserved samples that they already had banked a long time ago, and they loaded on the hive versus a, a sort of a droplet-based platform. And there was actually an epithelial progenitor population that they didn't see on the other platform that they were to recover on the hive. And the idea there is that it was maybe a cell type that in general would have probably been okay, but because of it had gone through cryopreservation, it was more fragile, but the hive was still able to recover it. So that is, you know, if you only have cryopreserved samples to work with, you know, the hive can be a good solution to make sure it is able to capture as much of that sample as possible. Mm -hmm. That's good. And what about the cell recovery rate? So we load the amount of cells that we have, don't know, between 500 than 60,000, as you mentioned, but how many cells in general, of course, because it will depend on a lot of things, but in an um, experiment that is done by an expert with PMCs, let's say the best conditions, how many cells we will recover? Yeah, we expect to see recovery about 45% with CLS. And that stays true all the way down to the low cell loading range, where it's it's consistently 45% across that whole range. Okay, that's good. And now my last question is, besides the hives, the three main parts of the kit, if I want to do all the experiment, there is some other material that I must buy, the one that you recommend. Because, for example, for some technology, there is some certain tubes or centrifuge, I don't know, for the hives or honeycomb technology? So we have a, a starter bundle, which has some like one-time purchases and accessories. So there are a couple of accessories for the hive, like a closure tool for sealing it. Also, we use a vacuum manifold when you're in a 96 well plate, a filter plate for some of the first steps of library prep that is all pre-made and packaged in the starter bundle, as well as the different, like you said, plastics, like the different 96 well plates that we recommend. We have a set that's already pre-packaged for you. So you don't have to go off and buy a whole, you know, sleeve for the first experiment that you're doing. Yeah. And then in terms of anything beyond that, it's just standard lab equipment like, you know, centrifuge, thermocycler, that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, it really seems super easy. I mean, it's really fun for us because I feel like, a, you know, a lot of the original Honeycomb company goals are coming to fruition where we want to expand access to single cells. So for example, you know, you talked before about, you know, how sensitive granulocytes are and, and we've been so lucky. We've gotten really engaged with the innate immunology community. They're trying to study these cells in a whole range of different disease types. And I feel like, you know, that area of research was maybe, you know, being held a little bit behind because they didn't have access to technologies that worked well for them. So now what we kind of think of, you know, the first wave with the hive was expanding access. And now we've kind of given people access. And now we're the way that we think about it. Okay. Now it's like the new frontier is like the next generation in single cell. That's what's exciting for us, but it brought the technology to people who needed it. And now we get to see this kind of new generation of single cell research that's happening. It's very exciting for us. Yes. A lot of people are new. It's like, I don't know, because when you are for so long in single cell research, like we are, we think that at a certain point, no one will use anymore, right? Because the ones that are using it as, as experts is like, no, we will want to do new things. But no, no, as you say, there is a new wave of researchers that are doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's nice to see. And do you have something else that you would like to mention? Now is your free time. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, you know, the big things to announce are were Hive CLX and, and really there with that, it's, you know, more cells, more genes, more transcripts, easier to use, more robust. It's kind of that, you know, that second generation of the Hive. And then BNET Plus, that automated workflow to see your results more quickly. I would also recommend anyone to check out the resource section on the Honeycomb site, where you can sort of see maybe depending on your different area of interest, we might have materials where there's example data or example projects where, where people have been working. The resources page is a good resource. It is. I'm always doing download of application notes. Yeah, the other day I was thinking, come on, they will see always my email, Katia, Katia, Katia. It's a really, really good resource. I will leave all these links that you are mentioned for all these, the products and everything on the description of the podcast, okay? For people to have access for everyone to reach. Yeah. So yeah, if you don't have anything else to say, thank you so, so much for being here, for explaining the Hive's Honeycomb technology. And yeah, and let's keep in touch because if you have new things coming, I know that you are have new things coming. I would like to know more about in other episodes and uh, I bet that everyone will like to know more. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Irene. And then just extra thanks to you. I feel like, you know, the community is really lucky to have someone like you who's trying to seek out and provide more complete and just full information about everything that's going on in the single cell world because it's big and it's hard to keep a, you know, on top of everything and stay on track. So I really appreciate what you do for the single cell community. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you would like to support this podcast, now you have a way to do it. I will leave also the link where you can pay me a coffee. So thank you so much for listening to me and see you next Monday. Thanks for listening to the Single Cell World podcast. If you think it was useful or you learned something new, please spend some seconds rating this podcast on Spotify or leaving a comment on Apple Podcasts. It will make me super, super happy. For more tips or advice, follow me in Instagram or Twitter at SingleCellWorld or simply subscribe our website or blog 
at www.thesinglecellworld.com. Well, I will wait for you next Monday with a new episode. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.